Amen. First Samuel chapter two. First time I heard that hymn was in England, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And there was about probably close to between 500 and 700 people. It overwhelmed me. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold I shall stand in thy great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay. Fully absolved through these I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. You know what saddens my heart more than anything when I hear those words is that there are so many who profess to know Christ who have no understanding of what the hymnist wrote. We live in a generation where we have so many professors of Christianity, yet so few who, like Henry Skugel, so clearly lamented, yet so few who understand what true Christianity means. Fully absolved I am in these, clothed in his righteousness. First Samuel chapter 2, in verse 25. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, that's Jehovah. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Our Heavenly Father, we come humbly before Thy Word this morning, deeply impressed by its divine truth, and humbled, dear God, because of our own infirmities and weaknesses. Oh, dear God, may this question which Eli presented to his sons who knew not the Lord, may it, Father Lord, cause us to weigh our thoughts and consideration of it not only before thee, but before our very conscience. Who shall entreat for us if we sin against the Lord? And yet, Lord, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would revive once again thy children this morning. Help us to rejoice with exceeding joy that we're clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And oh, I pray that those this morning that are still clothed in their own unfilthiness, Father, and their righteousness that are filthy as rags, I pray that, Lord God, they would see their need of Christ and that there is no man amongst men that can entreat on their behalf. Lord, I pray that you'd show them their dire need. And oh, Lord, I pray you'd call them unto yourself Lord, that they might know as thy children what it is to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
to stand with no condemnation before God. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Amazing love, how can it be? Dear God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Though Eli spoke these words to his sons who knew not the Lord, beloved, these words in reality are truly an indictment upon all men. For all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not, the Scripture says. Being a high priest himself, Eli would understand the vast and incomparable differences between one man sinning against another man and a man sinning against the Lord. Was this the father exhorting his sons or the high priest pronouncing judgment for their sins? Possibly both, I believe. For what father would not be brokenhearted over the sins of his own children? Oh, there's a warning here. There's an exhortation here in the relationship between Eli and his sons who were also in the office of a priest, yet they knew not the Lord. It doesn't matter how much religion you might profess to know. It doesn't matter if you have family ties. If you sin against the Lord and every man has sinned, who will entreat for you? For my sons, as though Eli would say, you've not sinned against man, for there's hope. If you sin against man, for the judge, our verse says, shall judge him. He'll arbitrate for him. He'll intercede on his behalf if a man sins against a man. Yet, my sons, he cries, you have not sinned against man. You've sinned against the Lord. Who then shall entreat for you? Though a high priest, their sin was too great. No burnt offering, no sacrifice could atone for their sins. There was no man, Eli declared, no judge to advocate, to entreat for them. And so it is with all men. For all, like I said, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. This is an indictment against all men. You've not sinned against men. Because there would be hope that a judge would judge you, advocate for you. But you've sinned against the Lord. First Kings 8 says, there, For there is no man that sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7 proclaimed, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You see, dear friend, it's not what you do 
that makes you or made you a sinner. It's what you are. We were born into this world, into sin. And so this indictment is upon all mankind. This is the deplorable condition of everyone born into this world. In Adam we have all sinned against the Lord. If it were but another man that we had sinned against, there would be hope for the judge, a man of our equal, should judge us. But in our sinning against the Lord, who shall entreat? Who shall advocate? Who shall intercede for us? These two sons of Eli grow up in the house of the high priest. They were put into the office of a priest. There would be no better place amongst men where one could learn the things of God, and yet the Bible says they knew not the Lord. Verse 12 of the same chapter, they knew not the Lord. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of family ties you have. It doesn't matter if you're grown up in a religious or a Christian family. You can still grow up not knowing the Lord. And Eli, as a high priest, said, My sons, you've not sinned against man, but you've sinned against the Lord. And as fathers, we tell our children, you've not sinned against us, you've sinned against the Lord. And we cry, Who shall entreat for thee? Do you not believe if there was a burnt offering that Elijah could, Eli could offer that he would? If, was, if there was not a sacrifice? Don't you think this father who truly loved his sons would offer that sacrifice? Yet Eli says, you've, you've sinned against the Lord and who shall entreat for you? The simple and only answer Eli had for his sons we're no man. Your father, your mother cannot save you. As pious and as holy and as devoted as they are to God, they cannot entreat for you. They can pray. They can beseech, beseech God to show you mercy, but they cannot entreat for you. There's only one that can entreat for the sinner. Only one. If there's no man, preacher, what is the hope that a sinful man could have? There's no hope amongst men. So God took it upon Himself. Oh, dear child of God, I pray that God would... Inspire our hearts this morning anew. God took it upon Himself to provide an intercessor, a mediator, an advocate, a high priest, a Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. One who would entreat on the sinner's behalf. Oh, Eli asked the question that only God could answer. Who shall entreat when you sin against the Lord? Man says, I have no idea. There's no hope found in me. But the Lord says, there's hope in me. And he, Isaiah 59, 16, and he, God, saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. 
Therefore His arm brought salvation unto Him, and His righteousness, it sustained Him. That is the answer to this question that Eli presented to his sons. The answer for all mankind. There's only one. And it's God who provided that mediator, that advocate, that high priest, that intercessor. Only one can mediate between God and man. Only one, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, Isaiah said, his arm brought salvation, a sign of power. We sang it in there, and I mentioned it in the hymns and the psalms. It speaks of God's power to save. Do you realize it took a divine power to save sinful man? A divine power. No power short of divine power could ever redeem sinful fallen man. For I'm not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God. How many times when you've thought about your salvation, have you thought there's a divine power in that? It took a divine power to rip our souls out of the darkness and slavery of sin and deliver us into the kingdom of His Son. A divine power. One greater than it took to create the heavens and the earth. Have you ever thought about that? It would overwhelm us with worship, love, adoration, and praise to consider the divine power that God exercised in Christ's sacrifice to deliver us from sin's chains. Nothing short of a divine power. That's how fallen and sinful man is. That's how far you are away from God this morning. As a sinner, it's a power that only God can overpower. It's a darkness that only God can shed light into. That's how deep you are in the depths and the abyss of sin. Nothing but the power of God can pull you out. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. There's that power again. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Have you ever considered that? He's commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, I lament with Henry Scoogle that so few professing believers today understand or even grasp that. I fear if I walked amongst many Christians today or professing Christians and asked him, what do you understand about the righteousness of Christ? The majority of them would probably ask back, what righteousness are you talking about? How then can you think or even imagine to be saved if you know not that you have not the righteousness of God which alone can get you into heaven? The churches have failed in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've given them a false gospel, a false hope. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Oh, if we would just stop and meditate on to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, our hymn writers captivated this truth. 
clothed in His righteousness alone. Thy blood and righteousness. In the face of Jesus Christ. Don't you love the Word of God? The glory of God. Do a search in Scripture where it speaks about the glory of God and let Scripture reveal to you what that is. But the Lord, uh, the Scripture says that God has revealed unto us this glory of God through the face or in the face of Jesus Christ. God told Moses, no one shall see my glory and see my face and live. But in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? God has spoken to us in the past by the prophets, Hebrews 1 says, but now he speaketh to us through his son, who is the express image of his person. <laughs> That's what we have as Christians. For as many as received him, John said, Christ, to them he gave power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. He gave them power. Which were born, not physically, but spiritually, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave them power to become the sons of God. When's the last time you've considered your salvation in the power of God, the power of God it took to bring us salvation? It took a divine power. You know that old hymn we talk about, we was fettered in sins, the chains fell off, I broke free. John Wesley's hymn says, and I was free, the fetters fell off. I'm telling you, it took a divine power to redeem us from the power of sin. Oh, my friend, if you're here this morning and know not Christ, if you have not the righteousness of Christ, your soul lays in fetters, you're fettered to your sins and darkness, and nothing but short of the power of God is able to pull you out of that and set you free. Nothing but divine power of God. And that power is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let uh, Reformed Baptist Church go out into the world and preach that gospel. Believing it alone is the power of God unto salvation. I remember years ago in Germany as we preached on the streets to the drug addicts, many of them doing heroin and hard drugs for years, the brain cells fast. Probably almost all burned up from all the drugs, wondering how in the world could they even comprehend or understand what we're saying. They can't even add two plus two because the drugs have burned all their brain cells. And it, Romans came to my mind and my heart. It's the power of God and the salvation. It didn't matter what state they were in. It's the power of God. So when we go out into the world and we preach the gospel, it doesn't matter how I rent they, it doesn't matter how arrogant they be, it doesn't matter how sinful, it doesn't matter how much they curse us and yell at us, it doesn't matter how evil they might appear to be, it's the power of God. So we preach it unto every creature. Beloved, it took divine power to call you and I out of sin. 
There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, a divine power, a greater power than it took God to create the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? If you believe that, let us praise God for that. Let us thank God for that. Let us rest in that. But that ye may know that the Son of Man, Christ said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Got power on earth. I like Calvin's comment on this. He basically said uh, the Scripture limited it to earth because God wanted us to know that it's a personal thing with Christ. He comes to you intimately and personally and says, on earth I've got power to forgive your sins. Oh. Do you remember, dearly beloved, as a Christian when that power released you from the bondage of sin and your conscience and your guilt were set free? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. You see, religion can't do away with the guilty conscience. The only thing that can soothe and quiet a conscience is the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And when we're born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells with us. Oh, the Lord said, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, I shall not or cannot send the comforter to you. But when I go away, I shall send him. And he shall dwell in you and be in you. Paul loved to call it the communion of the Holy Spirit. But you know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Who shall entreat for you when you sin against God? The Lord Jesus Christ, for he alone has the power. But yet how? How is it that God graciously and mercifully displayed such power to save, which guarantees and assures our hearts before God? We can speak well about the power of God, and we can be overwhelmed by it and praise God for that, and adore and worship God for that power. But how did God display or give us a guarantee and assure our hearts before God of this power to save? Isaiah 59 again answers that same question. And his righteousness, it sustained him. We sang that those words were in a psalm. I almost broke down and began praying when we sang that psalm. That word sustained. He shall sustain me. And his righteousness, it sustained me. Beloved, we have no righteousness of our own. For we all as an unclean thing Isaiah says again in 64, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. You see, not only did the power of God call us out of sin, but to the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus, He gave us His righteousness. Are you following me? He gave us His righteousness. You see, for anyone to stand before God, you must be just as righteous as God. You must be just as righteous as God. 
we have no righteousness. We have nothing, no righteousness, in which to make us pleasing and acceptable before God. So in that power, it was God's righteousness. His own righteousness would sustain us. Listen to me. His own righteousness would sustain us. And that by the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. For he, Paul says, God, he hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? Why did God make Christ sin who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, like I said earlier, I lament that there are so many professing believers that when you speak about such things, they have no idea what you're talking about. But I also lament that so many Christians have come to know this truth so long that it gets to be habitual, normal. It didn't for our forefathers and it didn't for Paul and it shouldn't for us. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took my sins upon him, and in so doing, he imputed his righteousness to me. I took a power of God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 21. Well, let's just begin in verse 10 because I want to say this full description of what we were and what you are if you're without Christ. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilt, become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, now listen, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested by being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace. Being justified freely by His grace. Those words should <laughs> pierce our hearts and our minds. Being justified. Justified. Job asked that one important question. How shall a man be just before God? Who shall entreat for him? 
freely justified by grace, by His grace, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. Now watch this. That He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. How can God justify sinners? Because He's the just one. Because of His sacrifice. He's made now not only the just one, but the justifier. If I may say so, Christ said it in words himself, he earned the right when he sacrificed himself for us. He earned the right to give eternal life to us, whosoever he will. My Father has given me that right to lay down my life or lift it up. For he, God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How did God display or evidence that power? He imputed us to the righteousness of Christ. Our forefathers had it. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds and these arrayed, with joy shall I lift my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved through these I am. Love the wording. From sin and fear, from guilt and shame. Beloved, you see the power of God in our redemption. Fully absolved through these I am from sin and fear and guilt and shame. This is what the power of God has wrought in us by the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm dressed. I'm dressed in his righteousness. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm safe and secure in Christ. Who shall entreat for him? Christ. When God cried out, Who shall entreat for the sinner? Christ said, I will entreat for the sinner. One of the verses in God's Scripture that I believe no man shall ever fully understand in this life or the next is Isaiah 53, when the verse in Isaiah 53 said, It pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God. Would it please you to bruise your own son? To go through what Christ did? To lay everything on Christ that, that you despise and that you hate? And that is everything against you, opposite of you, to lay that all upon your son? For the sake of saving sinners, Oh, how we underestimate so often the price Christ paid on Calvary and what God the Father did and what the Holy Spirit does. How often we're so content in what we know, we find comfort in that and it leaves us cold and indifferent. It ought not to. 
Dearly beloved, it ought not to. That's why Paul cried out in Philippians chapter 3, that I might know Him and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, and be found in Him, not having my... Paul, you've been saved over 30 years. Paul says, I still want to know. I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, I want to be found in that. I want to know that. I want to personally experience that. Oh, beloved, we should never get over the righteousness of Christ that God has imputed unto us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our mediator and advocate. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are. My glorious dress. Rock of ages. Augustus, top lady, rock of ages, Christ, cleft, open, is to cleave in a rock, an opening. Rock of ages, cleft, opened, cleaved for me. Rock of ages, cleft, let me hide myself in thee. Let me hide all my sins and all my unworthiness. Oh, beloved, we're not unaware of our sinfulness and our unworthiness and our frailties and our weaknesses. We die daily, Paul says. We know that in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. We know that. But we look not to that. We look to Christ. We hide ourselves in Him. Augustus Toplate had it right. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Oh, I fear that one verse in that old hymn, merely being a hymn, gets filled with divine truth. So many professing Christians are ignorant of today. And those who've known it for years oftentimes come complacence and indifference. And I wonder which is more sinful, not knowing these things or knowing them and not praising God for them, not adoring and worshiping God for them. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Eli didn't have the answer, but God did. Man doesn't have the answer, but God does. And it's Christ. Go in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Well-known passage of Scripture, but listen to Romans 8 anew in the light of what we just said about the power of God and the righteousness of Christ, which God has closed us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now, you've got to read Romans 28, and when you read that, uh, 8.28, when you read that, keep all following verses in light of Romans 28, of 8.28. Don't lose the context. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For, now with that said, now how Paul leads this, for whom He did foreknow, He also predestinated, 
to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. We know that all things work together for the good to them that you keep in that light. What shall we, what shall we then say to these things if God before us who can be against us? All things work together for the good. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him so also freely give us all things? We often ask God for something. What more could God have given us besides his son? That's the greatest gift. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? We know that all things work together for good. To the, keep that in mind. We shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's entreating for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All things work together for good to them that love God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in, not out, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We know that all things work together for good. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, that engulfs everything and everybody in heaven and earth. Power of God. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because in Christ we're safe and secure. In Christ we have sanctification, redemption, justification. We're complete in Christ. You say, but... Preacher, how do we know these things shall continue on? Look at Hebrews chapter 7, and I'll bring this to a close. Hebrews chapter 7. Who shall entreat for us? The Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 in verse 23. Speaking about the priest of the Old Testament compared to Christ, and they truly, verse 723, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue raising of death. But this man, King James, man, see, but this man, there's one mediator between God and man, Timothy said, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But this man, isn't it amazing, is it wonderful to hear that? This man, he associates with us. It behooved him to come like us in brethren. So he took upon him flesh. This man, he's not unapproachable. Christ is very approachable. Very approachable. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now watch this. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God. Why? How do we know that? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. You see, even though we're saved, redeemed, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Christ still intercedes for us. 
makes our works, our prayers, everything we do acceptable in the sight of God. Why is this so important for us to understand? I pray that we would contemplate more about this in this present life. Because, beloved, we need to have this assurance when death and eternity knocks on our door. So often we don't occupy our minds with such thoughts, but we ought to. We ought to. And when we do, and when we when we pray over these things and meditate over these things in this life, we know and understand is but a vapor. When death does come knocking at our door and when eternity is but a heartbeat away, dearly beloved, we shall not fear, be filled with fear and doubt, but we shall be filled with hope and anticipation. If a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no man that can help you. No man that can save you. No man that can entreat for you before God. If you know not Christ, you're yet in the unrighteousness, your filthy rags of unrighteousness. And I pray the Lord God would open up your heart and your mind and let you understand and realize that nothing in this world could ever entreat for you before God and you've sinned terribly against God. Just in being born into this world, you've sinned against God. You're at enmity with God and there's nothing short of divine power that can pull you out of such fetters and chains of darkness and sin. Nothing but the power of God and that only by Jesus Christ. He alone is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. May God give us grace as his children to meditate more often on these things. Clothed in his righteousness, bold I stand before the throne. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, dear God, that not only would you excite anew, afresh, the hearts of thy children, so that we would never forget these things, but dwell and meditate upon them. And I pray for those who know not Christ. Lord, they sinned against Jehovah God in the mere fact that they were born into this sinful world under the curse of Adam. Lord, they're sinful. They're without God and without hope in this world. Help them, I pray, dear God, to see that, to grasp that, to understand that. And then I pray that you'd open up their eyes. I pray that you'd send out the light into that darkness, Lord God, and reveal unto them your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I pray you do a powerful work of grace in all of our hearts this morning, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.